Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The great Northwest is the place to be in the 1990s. Seattle is home to Microsoft, started in a small garage. The internet is, is kind of like a gold rush. By 1998, it's the largest corporation in the world and changing the way we communicate. An ambitious little startup is cornering the market in books, while a local coffee chain is fast becoming everyone's morning Joe. From skateboards to flannel shirts to the Seattle Sound, Generation X has found its look and its voice in the Pacific Northwest. Grunge has taken over the airwaves, and on TV, Twin Peaks is reimagining the detective show. The Kapowson area could well be a Twin Peaks location. The tiny town in Washington is only an hour south of the vibrant Seattle scene. It is the remnants of an old timber town in the foothills of Mount Rainier. It's woodlands and forests and lakes. Kapowson is uh, not a city, not a town. It's a place. For 27-year-old Lisa Carlson, Kapowson feels like another world. She and her husband, Dan, recently moved to his hometown with their two-year-old twins. And his family was more country or like farmer-type people. Our family was almost like world travelers. Growing up with a father in the military, Lisa, along with her little sister Shannon and mother Donna, learned to make friends easily as they moved from place to place. Atlantic City or Washington, D.C. or New York City or Denver. We had three years in Panama, which was wonderful. Walks in the woods, walks in the jungle, bananas, pineapples, papayas. You never knew what we were going to bring home and say, hi, Mom, look what we found. That's a big watermelon. Anywhere we went, Lisa always would make friends, and she was always well-liked and loved among the community. You could not get a better child anywhere than Lisa. In her early 20s, Lisa settles in the Tacoma area, working in the healthcare industry. 
That's where she meets 21-year-old Dan Carlson. He was attending nursing school. Dan was incredibly intelligent. He had a natural talent when it came to, to medicine and first aid. And I think that impressed her. Sean McKillop is happy that his longtime friend has a new relationship, but he can't deny his reservations. It was kind of a opposites attract there. She was very outgoing, whereas Dan tended to stick back in the shadows and appreciate from afar. He had never had a girlfriend before. Dan was absolutely out of his league. And yet the relationship thrives. Lisa and Dan marry in 1994, within a year of meeting. I was concerned at the speed with which Dan was moving because this was his first relationship. He wasn't necessarily thinking clearly. He was thinking with his heart. In 1995, their family doubles in size when Lisa gives birth to twin boys. They were absolutely adorable kids. The babies were her world. She was a great mom. She always liked pets. And I said, now you have two full-time pets of your own. And sometimes one wants to go this way and one wants to go that way, but you couldn't get a better mother. She fills the twins' days with family and fun. We used to go to different kiddie land places. There's a lot of nearby water parks. Anything for kids would be there. The toddlers adore their mother. In fact, everyone who knows Lisa loves her. Lisa's a wonderful, caring, compassionate, loving, smiling person. But kids cost money. With Lisa now a stay-at-home mom, it's not long before she and Dan feel the pinch. When you've got a single income and you've got twins, both in diapers, that's going to put a financial stress on you. You're talking mid-1990s. Dan was just starting out in his career, so he wasn't exactly at the top of the food chain. One day, Lisa said, Dan, show Dad your wallet. And it's like one of these trifold, billfolds, and he must have had at least 10 credit cards at that time. You get too many cards, and sooner or later, that's going to come back and bite you. By the time the boys are two years old, Lisa and Dan come up with a solution to their money trouble. Moving in with Dan's parents, Daryl and Carol, in Kapowson. His mother and dad owned property, so they divided their lots, and they got another mobile home and said, wow, you know, you guys can live out here with us. They really didn't have much of an option but to move. And with their trailer 100 yards and a thickly wooded path away from Carol and Daryl's house, the young couple still have their privacy. There was the added benefit that with all of Dan's family right next door, Lisa had somebody assist with the babies. The hope is to save up some money, pay off their debts, and get back on their feet. In the beginning, it works well. Dan is closer to his job, and his parents are excited to have their grandson so close by. Carol loved the twin boys and wanted them in her life. Initially, it sounded like a good idea until it turned out being not such a good idea. Within a month of moving to Kapowson, Lisa and Dan find themselves spending a lot of time with Dan's childhood friend, Sean. We would hang out at their place, and because I was very much into computers, I'd started them working on uh, what were called bulletin board systems. Think them as uh, precursors to chat groups. The internet, the iNet, the net. Sound amazing? It is. Think of the internet as a network of communication networks. You would dial a phone number that connects to a computer. 
you would post a message, and once you were done, you would log off, and the next person would call in. Lisa took to it very quickly. She loved it. Uh, Dan, not so much. Sean sees Lisa and Dan almost every day. They post on bulletin boards or they just hang out. Often, because Dan is working late, it's just Sean and Lisa. We had great conversations, and I was an ear for her. She confides in him that her in-laws get irritating, especially when it comes to Carol's pop-in visits to see the boys. Daryl didn't bother her, she didn't bother him. But the relationship between Lisa and Carol was strained. Carol was coming into the house uninvited. Lisa told me there were a couple times where she'd gone to take a shower and she gets out of the shower and Carol's standing in her bedroom. Lisa's opinion of Carol was that she was always pushy. She kept referring to those children as my babies. Dan takes his mother's side. I remember Dan saying, why don't you just give in to her? And Lisa's like, because that's not right. She's not raising our children. I am their mother. A bigger problem looms in the couple's life. Despite the move, their money situation doesn't improve. They have no choice but to file for bankruptcy. Finances, of course, caused distress. The isolation caused them to drift. To Sean, it seems that this perfect storm of troubles is taking its toll on the marriage. Lisa couldn't stand being out, as she put it, in the sticks. She was born and raised a city girl, so she was used to civilization. Lisa felt cut off. More than cut off. She feels vulnerable. Their home is at the dead end of an almost two-mile-long dirt road. They only had power running uh, a few hours a night. You're essentially in the wilderness. There are no streetlights. It was pitch black out there. July 18th, 1998 is a night like any other, deep in the woods of Kapausen. Until it's not. 911, what is your emergency? Emergency, I think my wife just was murdered. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Emergency. I think my wife just was murdered. Are you at the house where your wife is now? Yes. Okay, and what's going on with her? She is lying on the couch, um, not moving. She's cold, no heart, no pulse rate. Okay, is there any obvious signs of injury or anything? Yeah, she's been stabbed or shot. There's blood all over the place. Pierce County Sheriff's deputies have been called to the home of Lisa and Dan Carlson in the rural Washington state town of Kapowson. The first officer through the front door finds a gruesome scene. What he sees is a white female prone on this couch. Shot three times, twice in the head, once in the chest. There was a pillow, had a lot of blood on it, and there was her clothing that had blood on it. A blanket is covering her from the waist down. I'm thinking, okay, what's going on here? What is this dynamic? Right across from the couch is a television, and the television is on. There are indications of a robbery. Areas of the house have been ransacked. Sheriff's Detective Todd Carr steps outside to speak with Dan Carlson, the 911 caller, who seems to be in shock. He says the dead woman is his wife, Lisa. Dan tells Carr he was at work when his mother Carol paged him. It was around 8 p.m. My mom told me that my two children, who are three years old, had walked up the street to my parents' house with no, no mommy, when Lisa was in sight. Okay. So your parents live basically almost next door to Okay, okay. It's the very next house, the house going up the road. She called me and told me that she had called down here several times and was getting no answer and that I should come home and see what was going on. He tells detectives that when he got home around 9 p.m., the front door was ajar. Daniel said that his wife was on the couch and it looked like she'd been shot. Her whole head was covered in blood. I kind of went into a panic, I guess, and went over to the phone immediately and called 911. Any idea who, uh, who might have shot her? Not a clue. Really, not a clue. I wish I could answer that. I really do. Investigators think it's possible 
Lisa was surprised during a break-in and robbery. When they take a closer look at her dead body, they're shocked by what's under the blanket. She's naked from the waist down. In her left hand, she has an electric control that's attached by a couple of wires to a small piece of plastic. A sex toy, electronic with wires, some type of device to turn it off and on. There's a VCR there. We're talking 1998, so we're using VHS tapes. Inside the VCR is a triple X porno tape. Stopped in the middle of the tape. It appears she was engaged in some sort of self-pleasuring activity. Detectives find several spent 22 caliber shell casings, but no weapon. There are no defensive wounds. Lisa never knew what hit her. While crime scene investigators wrap up, detectives walk through the woods to question Dan's mother, Carol. She tells him that the two three-year-old twin boys wandered over to her place in the afternoon. And they came up about a quarter to six. Both boys? Yes. How'd they get up to your house? They walked. And how far is your house from theirs? Not far. Carol tells detectives that she didn't go check on Lisa because she had been banned from popping in uninvited. So I just took it that she was sleeping. And the kids got out of the house and came up. But she says that she's been trying to call Lisa, and Lisa's not answering. Lisa, the boys have walked down here. What are you doing? Wake up. Come on. Lisa, damn it. Around 8 p.m., she decided to call her son. He was upset that the boys had walked up, and he said that he would be right home. And how long did it take him to get home? 45 minutes, an hour. Carol also explains that even though she was home most of the afternoon, she never heard gunshots. Based on Carol's statements and the state of the body, detectives theorize that Lisa was killed sometime after 4 p.m. Detectives send Lisa's body to the medical examiner. Evidence, including the answering machine, VCR, and Lisa's computer, are taken to the lab. Studying the crime scene, they sense that something is not right. Nothing was really missing, according to Daniel. The bedroom was ransacked. However, Lisa's jewelry boxes were ignored. If you're looking for things of value, why aren't you looking in the jewelry cases? A burglar doesn't go into a house, kill somebody, not take stuff out of the dresser, leave the valuables in the drawers, and then leave. What was the point of the robbery? The location doesn't add up for the detectives either. This is a remote address within the remote area. You have to wind through a bumpy driveway, through the trees. It's a slow getaway from a low-income couple's trailer. If not a robbery, then who would want to kill this young mother of two? 30 miles away in Tacoma, Frank and Donna Dom are very worried. Their daughter Lisa was supposed to bring the twins over in the afternoon, but she never showed. My wife said, well, I've been calling Lisa, leaving one message after another, call me back, what's going on? And Lisa's not calling. That morning, the Dom's world changes forever. And all of a sudden, somebody's rapping on the front door, and there's a deputy sheriff from Pierce County at our door. He said, there's no nice way of saying it, but your daughter is deceased. From there on out, my life went to hell in a handbasket, and so did my wife's. Lisa's murder makes the local news. 
A Kapowson woman was found dead in her home last night. Police are calling her death suspicious. As detectives go over the evidence, they know the first suspect in any murder case is the spouse. Dan is no exception. Daniel's account to police and his 911 call, there's a flatness to it. He says, Emergency, I think my wife just was murdered. Not in a hysterical state, just very even. And he rather quickly goes to, I was at work, my mom called me. Right to his alibi. When you'd think that maybe that would not be the first impulse for someone discovering their wife shot three times in their home. Detectives also note that the husband's demeanor did not change much when they met him at the house. If you're married and, and the person, the mother of your children, has been shot, is bleeding all over the place, the last thing you're going to be is matter of fact. However, the detectives have a stronger lead to follow first, one that Dan offered up in the same matter-of-fact voice during his initial interview. How the two of you get along? Lisa? Right. Me? Um, we were still living together, but that's about it. Lisa started seeing uh, another guy who she met through me. He was an old high school friend. Daniel explains to the investigators that Lisa was having an affair uh, with his best friend, Sean McKillop. After spending all night at the crime scene, early the next morning, detectives Todd Carr and Mike Portman arrive at the home of Sean McKillop, her alleged lover. They flashed their badges. My response was, I've been expecting you. He is edgy. He is chain-smoking. And his demeanor is not helping his position with these detectives. He tells them Lisa's parents have already called him. They said Lisa was dead. Do you tell you how Lisa died? Apparently by a gunshot. They're asking all the standard questions. When did you see her last? What did you say? What was she wearing? When was the last time you were out there? Sean says he saw Lisa yesterday morning at his place, but he hasn't been out to her house in three months. Do you have a gun? 357 revolver. You have a gun permit? Yes, I do. Although Lisa was shot with a 22, investigators are still suspicious. They ask how the love affair began, and Sean explains how lonely Lisa was in remote Kapowson. It was a challenge. And for somebody like Lisa, who was used to civilization, it was a daunting prospect. Lisa felt stuck, and she confided a lot in Sean. What frequency did she send you electronic email? On any given day, I would get no less than two messages from her. She vented to me a lot about her dissatisfaction with Carol, her growing dissatisfaction with Dan and the relationship, and I was just an ear for her in the beginning. Police learned that Dan and Lisa's fighting escalated because of money problems and Dan's overbearing in-laws. They were fighting to the point that they wouldn't speak to each other anymore. She wanted nothing to do with him. It is loveless. Daniel knows that Lisa is thinking about getting ready to leave him. They sign a separation agreement in November of 1997 providing for childcare. She would watch the children while he was at work, 
and he would watch the children at night. They start sleeping in different rooms. Lisa turns to Sean for comfort. And then, after a few drinks one night... One minute we were, we were friends, and the next minute we were more than friends. It quickly becomes serious. I fell in love with her, absolutely fell in love with her. Soon, they're planning a future together, near Sean's family in Arizona. He tells police the relationship is an open secret. We didn't hide anything. We just went out of our way to make sure that we were being as respectful as we could be. By mid-July 1998, the bankruptcy filing started three months ago is almost finished. Despite their estrangement, Dan and Lisa must stay married until it's done. You can't get divorced because the two of you, as married partners, have to stay together to get the bankruptcy adjudicated. Sean tells police he couldn't wait till she was free. I had become increasingly adamant that she needed to get the hell out of there. If not for her own sake, for the sake of the children. And I thought it was an unhealthy environment. July 18th, 1998. Lisa had spent the night at my house. And just before she leaves, she tells me that she's finally going to leave Dan tonight. She was in the best mood I've seen her in in weeks. She plans to pick up the kids from Dan and meet her mother at three. And after she got everything packed up and she got the kids to her mom's, she was going to call me. Sean will join them, and then he, Lisa, and the kids will leave for Arizona. Everything is set. Sometime between 12.30 and 12.45, she leaves with these parting words. I love you, I miss you, I'll see you soon. And the last image I have of her is pulling out, and she drives away smiling. Sean insists that he couldn't have killed Lisa, and he has proof that he was home all day. I offered that I could print out internet-based chat logs. I never throw data away. It's always useful. Additionally, as background, Sean gives police pages of chats between him and Lisa going back months, as well as a tape that Lisa asked him to hold for her. It was a conversation that she had secretly recorded with Dan. Perhaps it's ammunition, in case the divorce turned nasty. Not only that, Sean has an idea of who might have hurt Lisa, Daniel's father, Daryl. He'd seen him do it months before. One day, Lisa invites Sean over to her place. They're watching TV while she does the laundry. Suddenly, Carol, Daniel's mom, bursts into the house and starts berating Lisa for betraying her husband, Carol's son. How could you do this? She calls Lisa a whore. And they have a, a fight. Carol storms out. But moments later, Dan's father, Daryl, barges in. He goes straight after Lisa. He grabs Lisa by the throat, and Lisa's screaming to call 911. The attack stops as suddenly as it began. And he looks at Lisa. He looks back at me, he goes, you're dressed. He expected to come over and see some orgy or something. Lisa's livid and calls the cops. Daryl's arrested for domestic violence. He gets put in jail. Lisa takes out a restraining order against Daryl. Now the detectives have another lead. Gotta look at Daryl. When investigators check out Sean's alibi, 
it appears that he was indeed home, using his computer all day. He could prove what he was doing by showing detectives the postings that he'd made in his bulletin boards at that time. And that rules him out. However, he's given them another suspect to investigate. Detective Portman obtains and executes a search warrant on Daryl Carlson's house. A restraining order, I mean, it's a big red flag. They did a search looking for a potential murder weapon. And in the bedroom, they open up a dresser drawer. And discover something unexpected. They find journals that Carol was keeping that reveal some kind of spying. Daniel's mother would stay outside the house where Daniel and Lisa lived, and she would watch Lisa through the windows during the day. In Carol's own words, detectives read about Lisa's movements, when she comes and goes, and when she sees her boyfriend. Okay, there is some poison in this familial setup. She tracks Lisa's movements. She notes that Lisa is not keeping the house well. Kind of a listing of Lisa's failures as a partner and wife. To detectives, this looks like evidence that Carol is keeping for her son's divorce. Grandma doesn't want to be separated from her grandsons. So there is the prospect of a custody battle. Police don't find a gun or any other evidence linked to the murder. Just the oddly unsettling journals, which include an entry describing Daryl's attack on Lisa. But Lisa's father-in-law's alibi appears to check out. The police went to talk to Daryl's co-workers and they determined that he was at work when Lisa died. Detectives turn back to Dan Carlson. Generally speaking, when a wife dies, suspicion kind of falls on the husband. Sean McKillop, Lisa Carlson's boyfriend, gave detectives a secret recording that Lisa made of conversations with Daniel. It throws a different light on her estranged husband and takes the investigation in a new direction. You just completely blanked me out. I don't know what's going on half the time when you're around. Well, the first thing I can tell you is... I would like to know why you tried to just kill me. I did try to kill you. What do you call strangling somebody? I wasn't pressure. Dan talked about how she made him so angry. He'd wanted to kill her. It's very chilling. Police also have hundreds of pages of computer chats between Sean and Lisa, including messages about her fear of Dan. Dan had been assaulting Lisa. She was afraid for her life. The police talked to a number of people, and they had observed bruises on Lisa. And Lisa said that they came from Daniel. I thought it was pretty apparent who had murdered her. There's just one problem. With no weapon or fingerprints, they can't prove it. Or can they? In the 90s, there was a whole new method of crime scene identification, and that was DNA. DNA expert Gary Sims went back to the numbers, trying to paint a picture that the odds of O.J. Simpson's blood not being at the murder scene was in the millions. Unfortunately, DNA analysis won't help single out a killer here. When you live in a house, your DNA covers your house. And so Daniel's was there, Lisa's was there. So detectives call in a different breed of forensic expert, blood spatter specialist Rod Englert. 
We look at the crime scene photos, the reports, the autopsy. We look at the physical evidence to find things that are often overlooked. FBI behavioral analyst Mark Safrick also joins the team. I'm really looking at this dynamic interaction between the victim, the offender, and the scene itself. Englert and his team spent months studying and reconstructing the murder site. They kept the couch, which put it in the basement of Pierce County Sheriff's Office, and put a model to represent Lisa Carlson in white protective clothing. Lisa was found in a prone position at the end of the couch, but her blood spatter says otherwise. We have Lisa Carlson lying in a certain area, but we've got blood on the far end of the couch in the form of mist on the walls. We put little dots to indicate blood patterns of high-velocity mist from gunshot. We were able to take the blood stains on the wall and project back to the origin. The conclusion is clear. This had been staged. She was shot while she was sitting up by someone apparently facing her. Her body was dragged across this L-shaped couch and then shifted to this prone position. People lie, but the evidence never lies. In the original crime scene, they find more evidence of staging, like a bloody handprint. Moving a dead body is extremely difficult. When she's pulled over, the person puts his or her hand on the back of that couch for support. Knowing the body was moved, the team begins to unravel the clues to find out why. What we're meant to be seeing here is Lisa on the couch. She's got this sex toy, and she's essentially masturbating while she's watching a porno tape. To Safrik, that doesn't add up. First, the blood on the sex toy makes no sense. After she's shot, she's essentially incapacitated. There isn't any way that blood from those injuries by her own hand gets on her hands or on those items. That only occurs if there's a third party that got blood on their hands and is now positioning the items to look like this. Then there's the VHS porn tape in the VCR. Typically, when the tape reaches the end, it either stops or it stops and then it rewinds itself to the beginning. But in this case, it's just stopped in the middle of the tape. It appears that whoever staged the scene hated Lisa. It wasn't enough that Lisa was going to die. She had to be humiliated and made to look bad even in death. That doesn't happen with a stranger. Police need to start looking at those people in that inner circle. The most obvious candidate is Dan, perhaps retaliating for suffering his own humiliation through Lisa's not-so-secret affair. Nothing dissolves a marriage faster than death. But investigators can't prove that Dan is the killer. We had no fingerprints in this case. There was no evidence as to who pulled the trigger. You have to develop probable cause. I mean, you just can't say, let's go prosecute this. You have to develop enough evidence. Any really good defense attorney would just get him an acquittal. Suspicion is one thing. Proof is another. In December, six months after the murder, 
prosecutors get a report about activity on Lisa's computer on the day of her death, and it shakes up the investigation. There's indications of someone attempting to log into Lisa's email, attempting to send messages from her. The failed login attempt started around 3.40 p.m. Their chief suspect was already at his job. If Daniel's at work, who was at the house? Detectives believe Lisa was already dead by then. Her mother, Donna, told detectives she called her daughter several times on the day of the murder. That's when detectives noticed something odd. She'd left messages on the answering machine. When they retrieved the tape from the answer machine, Donna's messages weren't on it. But someone else's are. Lisa, the boys have walked down here. What are you doing? There are multiple messages from Carol to Lisa. We wanted to have the answering machine analyzed. And there was one guy in the country at the FBI in Quantico, and he agreed to do it. They look at the tape of the answering machine and they find that it's screwed up. Someone has messed with it. Somebody had tampered with the tape. The FBI expert believes the tape was rewound and taped over. Somebody else was in the house, somebody who had access to the house, somebody who had access to the answer machine. It had to be somebody that Dan could work with. That would have been Carol. Detectives look more closely at Carol's story. She said the children came to her house at 5.45 p.m. Carol, who lives 100 yards away through the woods, tells Portman that the two little boys wandered over to her place. There's no pathway to Carol's residence, and they never walk that before by themselves. It's just trees, thick trees. And there is simply no way that two three-year-old boys could navigate their way to Grandma's house. Investigators also home in on the diaries Carol kept in her house. At first, they appeared to be a log of Lisa's whereabouts and home life. But seeing Carol in this new light, they can also be read as sinister. Spying behavior, obsessiveness with Lisa, it's intense and mom is intensely engaged with it. The problems with the marriage and Daniel and his mother and the fighting and she hated Lisa and Lisa hated her, all that was in the journal. Now that allowed the police to establish motive. Investigators now believe they have enough to make a case against Carol and Dan. This tampering uh, with the computer, this tampering with the answering machine, plus the animosity, all these add up. Both Dan and Carol are arrested charged with murder, with conspiring to kill Lisa based on trying to prevent her from leaving and gaining custody of the two boys. Investigators suspect that Carol was the mastermind behind Lisa's murder. Dan is kind of controlled by his mom. He's a mama's boy. Carol is 5'2", 85 pounds dripping wet. Physically, she's not threatening. But I do remember Carol saying, you know, people think I'm this really sweet, tiny little woman, but I can be a real nasty bitch when people piss me off. 
It takes years to assemble all the evidence against both Carol and Dan. Finally, in early 2003, the mother and son go on trial and the prosecution presents their theory of the case. They argue that after Lisa told Dan she was leaving for Arizona with Sean and the kids, Dan shot her. Daniel committed the murder. Then he had to go back to work to alibi himself. That left Carol in the house to do all the staging. Prosecutors say Carol then posed Lisa's body using the sex toy and the porn tape to humiliate her in death. It's a murder that paints her as a whore, her prostitute. It's just evil. Next, she tried to send an email from Lisa's account to give Dan an alibi, showing Lisa was alive after he left for work. And finally, Carol crafts her own alibi by leaving phony messages on Lisa's machine. Everything that was done, I was just absolutely disgusted. Daniel and Carol are convicted of first-degree murder, and each is given 37 years in prison. And if it were within my power, you'd get 200 years and then some. Due to a search warrant issue, an appeal frees Carol in 2008. Dan is still in prison. With custody shared between the two families, the twins grow up in a loving environment. And Lisa Carlson is not forgotten by those who loved her most. 20 years, and not a day goes by that I don't think about her. I've had 27 years of love and caring and affection in my life. Instead of mourning the person, you celebrate their life. And I'm celebrating. Sad, and sometimes I cry, but I celebrate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.